up my uh, my scriptures here. As I mentioned already, guys, we're taking at least these first four weeks of the new year uh, to present this thing, to kind of distinguish it separate from um, other weeks and other Sundays of the year. And we're focusing on this idea of a legacy, living a life worth leaving. And again, we're focusing on living toward living living a life worth leaving for others. Okay. And one of the things that I talked about in the in week one was how Jesus Christ, Jesus was others thinking. He, he was always thinking about other people and what he could do for other people and how he could affect other people's life. And and one of the reigning phrases that has really been in my heart is reverberated, reverberated back and forth is we find that that his heart. His heart is revealed in his actions. Uh, it's supported by his words. But at the end of the day, what he is is what he does. And I really believe that true to, to most of us, if not all of us in this world today. What we do in our life is who we are. And we need to look at that and how we can hone into this pattern that has been left by our Lord and Savior, guys. And, and if we begin to look at, at Jesus again, if, if the actions of Jesus Christ are reflective of who he is, uh, or who he most deeply is, I would say, guys, it, it, we cannot avoid the conclusion that it is the very brokenness, that it is the very sinfulness, the very fallenness that he came to undo uh, in mankind's life. It is that which is attractive to him, if you will. Now, don't misunderstand me saying that, guys. Jesus is not attracted to sin. It's quite the opposite, okay? He was not attracted to sin by any stretch of the imagination. Hebrews in chapter 4 tells us in verse 15, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Everything and anything that mankind and the existence of mankind that has ever been tempted by in Jesus' 33 and a half years, and really and truly the latter three and a half years of his life, he was tempted by, yet he sinned not one time. He was without sin. The Bible says that he was found without guile, which means deceit. The Bible also tells us in Hebrews in chapter 9, verse 28, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him uh, shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So here's what we need to understand. Jesus was drawn to the sinner, but he was not attracted to the sin. And that's what we need to understand. That Jesus was drawn to the helpless, to the one who most greatly needed him, to those who are, and those who are willing to bring people to Jesus or bring the helpless to Jesus. Jesus sees the fallenness of the world, and he looks at it as being all about himself. He takes it on his shoulders, if you will. His deepest impulse his most natural instinct is to move toward the sinner in the midst of his suffering, not away from it. I want you to see a comparison here from a, a story that people may hear, uh, hear the phrase used, the phrase uh, of the Good Samaritan, the story of the Good Samaritan. And we'll get into Matthew chapter 9 here in a little while. I, don't know, I haven't forgotten about it. But in Luke chapter 10, this is where we read this event that happens. The Bible says, And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell on thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, that's his clothing, and wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Half dead. All right? Now, the, first, the first thing I want you to notice here is, is that Luke is very particular. Jesus is very particular. He said there's a certain man. Where did he leave? He left Jerusalem. Where did he go? He went to Jericho. So one of the things we need to understand is that this Jew, this man who was from Jerusalem, this Jewish man, left Jerusalem, which was the capital city, and he went into a city called Jericho. Jericho is a cursed city. He had no business being there. 
The Bible tells us in Joshua, in chapter 6, verses 26 and 27, and Joshua adjured them at that time, saying, Cursed is the man before the Lord that riseth up and buildeth the city of Jericho. He shall lay the foundation thereof in his firstborn, and in his youngest son shall he set up the gates of it. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was noised throughout all the country. So that's what here's what that means. What we have, guys, in Luke chapter 10, what we have in this event that we're going to eventually see here, the Good Samaritan, and as we're looking at a comparison of how Jesus Christ was drawn to the sinner in his life and in his pattern of living, he was drawn to the helpless, drawn to the hurting, drawn to the heartbroken. Yet we find this, this, this Jewish guy, this guy leaves Jerusalem, goes down to Jericho, falls among thieves, he's out of the will of God, he goes down there to this city, the wrong place. He's robbed, stripped, and beaten, and he's left half dead. He's nearly beaten to death, and he's left there to die. The results of bad decisions, ill choices, and wrong moves. Look at the rest of the story. Luke chapter 10, verse 31 through 32 says, And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. Now stop with me just I want you to picture this with me. Here we have a, a fellow Jewish man. Let's say it's a, a, a fellow friend of yours, somebody from your neck of the woods, somebody from your estate, I mean your neighbor, whomever it may be, right? And he's gotten into the wrong part of town and I'm not going to call any part of town out because I don't, I don't know, amen? You know, he got into the wrong part of town. Got mixed up with the wrong people, and they robbed him. What? Here's what those. Here's what those robbers did. They looked at this man come down, and they said, "What his is mine. We're going to take it." And they beat him up. They stripped him of his clothing. He was left there laying on the ground, bleeding out. And then all of a sudden, here comes these two people. Now, out of everyone on the planet, here's a priest, right? Here's a Jewish priest. He's in his little, his little, uh, his his little dress or whatever you want to call it, his pop and all that stuff. And he's walking, and he looks down on the street, and he sees this guy laid up. On, he don't know who he is. He don't know if he's from Jericho, if he's from Jerusalem, if he's from Jupiter. Who knows? But he sees somebody hurting on the street. Out of anyone on this planet. The one that represents the religious, the religious person, right? You would have thought that's the guy who's going to go help him. And what does he do? He knows this. He looks down there and he crosses on the other side of the street. And every one of you in here has done that before. You've seen somebody that you saw them down there. They're passing out leaflets or something like, man, I don't even want to say no to this guy. You've crossed the street and you've just ignored them. I know you have. We've all done it, amen. You may not have done it to somebody bleeding out in the street. But you've done it to somebody you've tried to avoid. That's what he was doing. What he did, he crossed the side of the street so that he could justify to the public that, well, I just didn't see the guy laying there because I was on the other side of the street. Then all of a sudden, there's a Levite that comes by. Now, Levites were temple workers. They were in charge of the, of the operation of the temple. All right? Not a, not a priest, not a big dog, but laborers. And you would have thought that a Levite would have had some form of humility about themselves. To see this guy hurting, to see this guy helpless, and see this guy heartbroken, to go over there and help him out. What does he do? He doesn't cross the other side of the street. He's got the audacity to walk up to the guy, look at him, see his no clothes, see he's bleeding out from his side or wherever he's bleeding out. I mean, examine him. And just walk on by. Just like this. Here I go. 
Now, I want you to think about that for a second. These two people out of anyone on the planet should have been the ones that had helped that guy. And they didn't. They didn't at all. So you have the religious. You know, you, I used this first last week. I'm going to throw it back in there again. The Bible says, But whosoever hath this world's goods and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up the bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? So I'll ask you right now, guys. This is a product of religion without righteousness. All dressed up with all the pomp and the rituals, but no love of Christ. And we see it every single day. We see it every single day. You knew how Jesus Christ lived because his heart was seen in how he was drawn to the helpless. The religious you find right here, no, they're not going to have anything to do with him. Closes up his bowels of compassion. How dwelleth the love of God in them? So what's the rest of the story? This is all introduction, by the way, tonight, guys. It won't, we won't be long. Luke chapter 10, here's that word certain again. The Bible says, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, and, and guys, if you have your Bible, circle and underscore the word saw, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and he went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Now, who are the Samaritans? We've already talked about the Levites and the priest. All right? We've already talked about Jericho. The Samaritans, in the eyes of the Jews, were a mixed race of people who were to have no dealings with Israel. They were an outcast of people. They were a mixture of the, the tribe of Dan and the Ishmaelites. John chapter 4 is a perfect example that we find here. Then saith the woman of Samaria, to, Samaria unto him, speaking to Jesus Christ. She says, How is it that thou, being a Jew, asketh me of drink, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So here's what I'm going to ask you tonight. When we look at the priest and the Levite and the Samaritan, who wasn't supposed to have any dealings with the Jewish people, who best exemplified what Christianity is. I'm not saying what Christianity is labeled. Hey guys, you can go stand in the garage tonight. You can, matter of fact, if you want to, you can get inside a garage tonight. You can shut the door. You can lay down in the middle of the floor. You can even make vroom, vroom, vroom sounds. It ain't making you a car. You are what you are. You can call yourself a Christian all you want, but if that life is not lived up to what a Christian is, you're not a Christian. Who best exemplified what the life of Christ would be? Who best exemplified someone who was caring and had compassion? Certainly not the religious. But those who had the truth. This Samaritan, I want you to notice something with me, guys. And this is what's important. This is kind of the focus tonight. The title of the sermon tonight is Jesus Moved. And I believe, guys, you know, it's something I'm very passionate about. I, uh, I don't like whining, but I'll listen to you all day long. But I'm going to tell you this. Do something. I don't like big talk, little do. Do something. Jesus was little talk, big, big do is what he was. He moved. The Samaritan, the Bible says that he went to him. 
He didn't cross the street. He didn't look on him. He didn't get the, the fast-paced walk to avoid the situation. He went to him. I mean, if we look back at, at the verse here, notice what happened. It says uh, uh, that he helped him. We know that he healed him here. And then he goes and takes him to this inn, and he tells the innkeeper after he had to leave, he says, take care of him. And whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, so we know that he was a regular, I'll repay thee. Now I present this challenge to every one of you guys tomorrow. I want you to go to Littles or Morrison's or M&S, wherever you shop, where you regularly shop. And I want you to get 50 pounds worth of food. And I want you to take 25 pounds to the cashier and say, listen, when I come next time, I'll pay for the rest. You know what they're going to say? Hey, listen, <laughs> you take the rest back now. You know what this tells us about this Samaritan? He was a man of integrity. He was a man of character. He was a person that was trustworthy. He was a person that has exemplified helping others and caring for others, but he could be trusted. Which, guys, I'm going to tell you something is a, is a quality far lost and gone in our world today. When we look at the Samaritan in comparison, obviously of the Levite and the priest, but when we tie it together for who and what Jesus is, the legacy, living a life worth leaving to others, this is, a, this is deeper than saying that Jesus is loving, that he's kind, merciful, and gracious. All of those are great qualities. But they're superficial in comparison to who and what Jesus and how he lived. Man, that's the big key. Who and what he is, but how he lived. Jesus' earthly ministry, guys, was one of giving back to un undeserving sinners. Man, their humanity. Giving back people's dignity. You know, we tend to think of the miracles of the Gospels as interruptions in the natural order. Listen to this here. There's a German theologian by the name of Maltman. And he points out that miracles are not interruptions of the natural order, but rather the restoration of the natural order. He teaches us that, that we're, we're, we're so used to, to the fallen world, we're so used to the sicknesses and the diseases and the pain and the death, we look at them as being natural, and I understand that, but in fact it is the sicknesses and diseases and the pains and the death, those are the ones that are interruptions of life. Maltman says when Jesus expels demons and heals the sick, He's driving out of creation the powers of destruction and is healing and restoring uh, created beings who are, who are hurt and sick. He said the lordship of God to which the healings witness restores certain creations or restores creation to health. Jesus' healings are not supernatural miracles in the natural world. They are the only truly natural thing in a world that is unnatural, demonized, and wounded. Brother, we live in a wounded world today. It shouldn't take us but a second to understand. My soul, you turn the news on, you find out we live into a, in a wounded world. We live into a hurting world, a dark world at times. Now, we live in a beautiful world. You can find beauty in our world if you look for it. You can find darkness in our world if you look for it. But you're not put into a hurting world today just to go along with it. Just say, well, hey, this is it. Living around, kicks and giggles, here we go. So in our text tonight, Matthew chapter 9, we're looking at another example of the life of Jesus Christ. I have three quick points tonight. We'll be finished here shortly. 
But Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, we find it says, and, and he entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. Behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their face, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. There's a couple points that I'm going to hammer here in just a moment. I want to give you a couple examples of Jesus' life yet again that supports him in Matthew chapter 9. But the Lord's compassion, guys, comes in way. We're going to hammer compassion next week in a great way. We're going to use a, a mighty illustration from the Lord's examples. But remember, and I've taught you guys this, the word compassion, it's, it's, a, it's a compound Greek word which means co-suffer. Passion means to suffer. Co, when you tie it together, it means you are co-suffering with someone. The Lord's compassion comes in waves, and it's, it's over and over again. And within his ministry, you find that he's driven to heal the sick and to help the hurting. Matthew 14 is a great example. And verse 14 says, And Jesus went forth and saw the great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed the sick. We see another great example of his willingness and desire to help people. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 32, it says, Then Jesus called his disciples unto him, and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they continue now with me three days and have nothing to eat. And I will not send them away fasting lest they faint in the way. Also, Mark chapter 6, verse 34. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were sheep as having not a shepherd. And began to teach them many things. Each one of these instances, the Lord saw people suffering. He saw people in pain. They were either hungry, they were either sick, they were hurting in some way, shape, form, or fashion, and he was moved to make a difference in their life. He went to them. He didn't wait for them to come to him. He was proactive about what he was doing. There's one more example before we get into our three points tonight that I want you to see. I preached on this, this subject uh, from this passage of Scripture last year. Uh, I can't remember, honestly, if it was here or in the morning time. But it's about the widow of Nain. Beautiful story. Beautiful, beautiful story. I love this story, but in Luke chapter 7, I want you to see the difference in this event compared to all the rest of them. And it came to pass uh, the day after, and he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him and much people, verse 12. Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out. There's a funeral procession is what it is. And the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And much people of the city was with her, and when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, Weep not. And he came and touched the bier. That's the, that's the coffin. And they that bear him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. Who did he have compassion on? The dead boy? Who did he have compassion on? Her mother. I mean, here she had lost her husband. By all rights, if we read into the story, our idea, we, we, we understand that she probably was at home alone. And in my mind, I'm looking at how he, the boy's dead, his mother was heartbroken, and Jesus Christ was moved with compassion. Hey, we see him move with compassion to heal the sick. We see him move with compassion to heal the helpless, but also the heartbroken. It's not always about the physical pain. It's not always, guys, about uh, you know the miracles that you find in Jesus' life. He just saw a lady suffering in the midst of darkness. We would call it depression today. 
We would call it that she was suffering, and, and she was. Imagine she's lost everything and everyone. And, and I, I picture in my mind that he's, he's looking at her and her brokenheartedness and her sadness, and he knows she's going to go home to an empty house. And she's not going to have a son anymore, Paul, to cook food for. Her husband's gone. There's no more. The meals have just gotten smaller and smaller and smaller. And the Lord said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to heal her heart. And he just touched that thing. That boy jumped up. I bet he was hungry. <laughs> I want you to notice something here. And this is kind of a precursor to point number two. But if you look in verse 13, and when the Lord saw her, when he saw her, he was moved. Jesus Christ was moved by what he sees. Jesus' heart, was, which is filled with purity and affection and perfection, is affected by his sight. He saw her brokenness. He saw her pain. Do you see the pattern yet? Do you see the legacy now? Do you see his life that was worth leaving to others? The Lord's heart was moved in Matthew 9, which is our text tonight. You know why it was moved? By something that he saw. By something that he saw. It was the hurting or the heartbroken. It was neither one of those. It was the faith of the friends of the helpless. Yeah. But its sight is strong effect and it, it, it has, listen, your sight is not always by what you see physically, but it is going to be, listen to this carefully, it's not always about what you see physically, but what you're looking for. And if you're looking for something, it'll be there. Your opportunities in your life, they're there every single day. You're searching for an opportunity, you're going to find it. Looking for those to, to lead, looking for those to love, looking for those to have compassion on, on around you. Uh, guys, listen, the Lord in Matthew 15 saw the hungry and he was moved with compassion. Hey, guys, I'm telling you, there's opportunities every single day. We just got to walk through the door. Every one of the accounts that we've looked at, Jesus' deepest part of his heart, his being, we see it by his follow-through. Follow through used to be a big push in the business world. It used to be a big push in the, the church planning and the church growth world. People would come in, they would visit, and people would say, well, you got to have follow through. you got to have follow through. Can I tell you this here this evening? Follow through is not just a, a sales tactic. Follow through is not just uh, uh, something for you to, to push your, for your upcharge, your up sales. Follow through is something about caring for someone. Guys, it's one thing to talk about something. It's another thing just to do it. Can I say that to you tonight? Hey, it's one thing to want to be healthy. It's another thing to, to get out there and do the work. It's one thing to promote well-being. It's another thing to do it. It's one thing to talk about caring about people. It's another thing to get out and make a difference in people's life. Man, just do something is all I'm saying tonight. Jesus was moved. Jesus moved. He got busy, man. He did the work. He didn't sit around saying, yeah, there's some people in need. There's a multitude hungry. There's a person with a palsy. There's some faithful friends. There's a broken heart widow. He did something about it. I'll tell you this. He went against a societal norm. Now, guys, I may get a little personal here tonight, and I'm sure you'll get over it. I hope you do. But Jesus Christ was not afraid to go against the societal norm. Remember that woman at the well? Oh, that's a beautiful story. One of my favorite parts of preaching in John 4. He sat on that well. The disciples went and got some food. And here comes this woman. She's had five husbands. She was shacking up with somebody that wasn't even her husband at that time. And she's coming down there to get water. 
He tells her everything she's ever done. She dropped her water pots, went into the city. Whole city gets saved. She's, and Jesus spends two more days, 48 hours there. And the entire city of Sychar is born again. Why? Because a woman came down to the well. Because Jesus Christ decided to talk to someone that he was not supposed to. Societal norms. I'm going to go ahead and tell you this this morning, or this evening. I could care two cents about what the culture is. I could care less about culture. I don't, I don't care. You do the right thing. Jesus Christ did the right thing by talking to the woman of the well. He sat with sinners at the table. Hey, the woman with the issue of blood. She should have been stoned to death coming into the public. And he healed her immediately when she touched him of his garment. The leper we talked about last week who walked up in the midst of the multitude. He broke the societal norms, guys. Follow through is more than a presentation. It's more than a podcast. It's more than prissy little words, guys, that look good on social media. Follow through is being moved by compassion to make a difference in the lives of others. So I want you to look at our text with me real quick, guys. Three quick points, and my promise will be finished. The only way it happens tonight, the only way it happens, number one, if we're switched on. Verse 2 says, And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, Lying on a bed. Jesus recognized a man in dire need. A man helpless, a man hurting, suffering from the palsy. Now the word palsy means a condition of incapacity or helplessness. It comes from the same word of paralysis, which is defined as the loss of the inability to voluntary move. However, palsy is oftentimes associated with involuntary tremors or contractions, which means this. Not only was he helpless, he probably is in a perpetual state of hurting constantly. Hands, legs contracted up. Tremors happen and there's nothing he can do with it. You know, people always say that the first stage of fixing a problem, whether it's recovery or correction, they say there's recognition. You know the same thing applies if we're going to help someone? you gotta, you got to, guys, you got to recognize that people need help. If you want to make a difference in the life of the people around you, Man, you're going to have to be switched on. I'll say it like this. You're going to have to get a clue, man. People need help. Life's not always about rainbows and unicorns. Oftentimes, life is filled with storms. It's filled with train wrecks and turmoil. And we're here on this earth to help the hurting through a pattern that's set by Jesus. You know what you can do, guys? Look around. When you come up to somebody, hey, how you day you going? And then you're off to the next one asking how they're Be there to listen to them. Look them in the eye. Say, hey, everything going all right? What can I do for you? And mean it. Look for it. You know what? Jesus saw the guy helpless. He recognized what was... Just switch on. That's all I'm saying. If you're going to make a difference and follow this pattern, this legacy, living a life worth leaving to others, first thing is we're going to have to be switched on. Number two, guys, and we already talked about it, Jesus' mood made it different by his sight. Uh, again, again, we've already kind of touched on it. We won't spend a long time. Verse 2 says, seeing their faith. Now, this time it wasn't the hurting. It wasn't the helpless. It wasn't the heartbroken. It was these friends of this person that Jesus saw that made a difference in his life. Jeremiah said this. Jeremiah said, mine eye affected mine heart in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 15. Now, Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet of the Old Testament. He wrote two books, Jeremiah and Lamentations. Lamp to lament means to weep or to mourn. Now, when Jesus Christ asked his disciples, he said, Who do men say that I am? One of the people that they believed that Jesus was, they called him Jeremy, or Jeremiah, which is Jeremiah of the Old Testament, the resurrected Jeremiah. 
And we look at that and say, well, that's kind of silly because he was hundreds, he'd been hundred years dead, hundreds of years dead. I'd get that. But it speaks to the volume of Jeremiah's testimony. It speaks to the volume of Jeremiah's legacy that Jesus Christ's life was likened unto this Old Testament weeping prophet. You see, my friend, there's a sight that affected him. Jeremiah wept because his people, his city, his nation had turned their back on God. So Jesus himself, when he saw the hurting, when he saw the heart broken, when he saw the helpless, when he saw the friends of all of those, he was moved. So lastly, what did he do? He did what he could do. Now you say, that sounds awful simple. None of this is complex. Not a drop of what I've said for the last three weeks. None of it is complex. It's difficult at times. I get that. Life's not easy. It wasn't meant to be easy. But I am going to tell you this. He did what he could do. He did what was in his skill set, guys. The Bible says, Jesus, seeing their face, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. Now, I touched on that socially unacceptable thing just a moment ago. You may wonder, why in the world do you say that? Well, a couple a couple reasons why. We talked about the woman at the well and who Jesus Christ was drawn to, the sinner, the hurt, those that were hurting, that everybody else left alone. But Jesus did what he could do. He can forgive sins. We can't. Okay? But he did what was in his skill set. Verse 3 in the, our very text today says, And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemeth. Well, this is Jesus. This is the Messiah. This is the Savior. This is Creator who, who spoke everything into existence. So what did he do when he saw their faith? Did what he could. He forgave the man's sins. He did what was within his capabilities. And that was to help this man as a result of the faith of others, despite what was around him. Can I ask you, can I tell you this tonight, guys? We're almost done. Jesus will never require nor ask you to do anything that you're not capable of doing. He's not going to ask you to jump off a two-story two building and fly. You know why? Because you can't fly. Gravity's going to win every time. All right? But everyone in here has a different skill set. Everyone in here has a different ability. And so Jesus did what he could do, and he expects us to do the very same thing. Think about it for a second. It wasn't popular, but it was the right thing to do. I mean, I've I, I got to be honest. Who cares what society says is right? Who cares what society says is fun, what is popular, or what is the the best, or is it sound, or glorifying? We need to do the right thing despite what society feels is norm. It's called having a backbone, guys. It's called setting a standard no matter what goes around, and no matter what the populace says, no matter what the culture says is right. We do the right thing. So I ask you a question here tonight as we close. How do we do it? What's in your skill set tonight? What, what, what ability do you have? What, keep, what, are you, what are you good at tonight? Do it. Do it to glorify the Lord. Do it to help somebody out. I don't, I don't know. You have different talents than I have. I've told you guys before, I am literally talentless. I was good at two things in my life. None of it helps me presently. But I can tell you this tonight. I'm going to do what I can. What's your sight like tonight? Do you see what's around you? You see what's going on? Sort it out. Guys, are you switched on? If you're switched on, then move. 
Make a move. Jesus made a difference because he was switched on. Jesus Christ made a difference because his sight, he was switched on because of his sight, and he used his skill set to make a difference. And guys, we are, not can or should, we are to do the same. We don't have the ability to heal someone, but we do have access to the one who can. We want to make a difference, guys. We need to get them to them. We want to make a difference tonight, guys. We need to do what we can for the helpless, for the hurting, for the heartbroken, and for the one who can heal them, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. We bow your heads tonight. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity and time to be together. And I pray this evening that you'd give us God's grace and mercy. Lord, I pray as we take the examples of the Lord's life on this earth, that we would apply it into our life. Nothing great, nothing miraculous, nothing that. But Lord, that we would just take advantage of the opportunities that you give us every single day to set a pattern, Father, to make a difference in the lives of others. And Lord, it may not be popular. It may not be considered fun. But dear God, it's right. It's just simply the right thing to do. So I ask you to help us help others. And let us bring glory to the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 I do hope and pray that the teaching and preaching of the Word